You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressingcrest.org. Well, we are glad that you have tuned in with us again today for this podcast, Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, which is part of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ here in North Dallas. We are in the middle of a series right now on Thanksgiving, and I have asked uh, different elders here at Preston Crest to come and give us some of their thoughts on different things that we need to be thankful for. And today I am thrilled that Dr. Brian Pruitt, who is one of the elders here at Preston Crest, also a plastic surgeon here in the Dallas area, has joined me today to talk about reasons to be thankful for our physical families here on this earth. Randy Tucker last week talked about our spiritual family in the church, but um, Dr. Pruitt's going to talk with us about our physical families in our homes. We are glad to have Dr. Pruitt with us today. Thank you for being here, Dr. Pruitt. Thank you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we get started? Well, I was born in Lubbock, Texas, and um, born and reared in Lubbock, Texas. I was um, educated mostly there through college. Education was a very important aspect of our family, all the way back to my grandfather, I guess. And my grandfather was um, enrolled in Texas Tech in the very first year and was on the first Texas Tech football team. Uh, My grandmother went to ACC at the time, and both my parents went to Abilene Christian. Uh, my, My father has undergraduate degree from Abilene and then a master's and a doctorate. My mother had an undergraduate degree from Abilene and then a a master's degree in zoology and biological sciences. Um, Both were college professors really when I was born. I went to Lubbock Christian High School, uh, then walked across the street and went to Lubbock Christian University. And after two and a half years, uh, was accepted to University of Texas Medical School. Um, Had a wide variety of experiences in medical school. very fortunate that I got to uh, travel to Africa and operate for a couple of months at the Nigerian Christian Hospital. Uh, I got to uh, study at Harvard and the Mass General uh, for a little while. Went to um, um, operate in Houston with Dr. DeBakey and then with Dr. Cooley. Uh, got to go to Washington, D.C. And, and work for Dr. Coop, who was the Surgeon General of the United States and, and the Assistant Secretary of Health as well and got to spend a semester at Oxford University and the National Heart Hospital in London. Anyway, a lot of varied experiences. Then I was fortunate to get a position at Parkland uh, and UT Southwestern to train in surgery. Uh, it was 
supposed to be one of the best, if not the best, surgery training program in the country at the time, and I felt fortunate to get a spot there, and I didn't know how fortunate I was because the very first month I was there, I met a senior uh, Baylor nursing student (laughs) who was uh, not only beautiful but incredibly intelligent, and uh, a short four years later, after we dated for quite some time, we were married, and uh, then I was... um, and, and her name was Amy Peary at the time. Mm. Uh, Amy is now my wife, and a couple of weeks ago we celebrated our 32nd anniversary. How about that? Um, and anyway, after I was chief resident uh, here at uh, Parkland, then I got a position at Emory University in Atlanta. We moved there uh, for me to train in plastic and reconstructive surgery, and the first two of our five children were born in Atlanta. Um, after the years of training in Atlanta at Emory, um, I did some specialized training in facial plastic surgery in Miami, and I have been in private practice here in Dallas since that time. Uh, I've been very active in organized medicine. Uh, I've been elected and served as chairman of the plastic surgery department at Presbyterian Hospital for seven years. I was elected president of the Dallas Society of Plastic Surgeons and served as president of the Texas Society of Plastic Surgeons in the past. I've had the opportunity to operate on people really from all walks of life, uh, from all over the country who come to Dallas for plastic surgery. And so I've been very busy, been very fortunate. I love what I do. I love um, every aspect of my profession. I feel blessed to have had the opportunity. Amy and I, along the way, have had the incredible blessing of five children, uh, Austin, Taylor, Chandler, Stanton, and Sterling, and uh, I love them dearly. I'm so proud of each one of them. I won't won't, uh, tell you all of their various accolades uh, because I would embarrass them, I'm sure, but um, I'm very proud of each one of them. We started attending Preston Crest in the Mm mid-1990s really at the urging of Prentice Matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to that, he had developed a cancer on his lip and had had this cancer removed, and he came to me, and I performed his reconstructive surgery. Okay. And uh, he started uh, twisting my arm to come and visit at Preston Crest. We love Preston Crest. Uh, Amy and I have both uh, taught uh, in the Bible class program, she in the children's program, and, and I have taught in the adult Bible class program. Uh, I've served as a deacon and then as an elder for more than 10 years. It's been my honor, really, to serve with men who have now gone on to heaven, Mm -hmm. Uh, men like Bill Buckley and Fred White and David Howard and Laren Blanks and others, uh, really, from whom I have learned so much and and benefited from their wisdom. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a little bit of the background. Well, that's a pretty incredible story. So you obviously have had many experiences from uh, Lubbock to Africa and Washington to Atlanta and uh, meeting Amy here um, in Dallas at at Parkland. Mm -hmm. A lot of history with that hospital as well. We are recording this on November 23rd and uh, 57 years ago yesterday, a young President John F. Kennedy unfortunately made a uh, trip to Parkland Hospital after the assassination took place so uh, you've seen a lot of different things been a lot of different places and have raised five 
wonderful children. I we, was. <laughs> we talked about that occurrence constantly. I'm sure you did. While we were there and which operating room we were in. And mm-hmm. my professors, many of them were the ones who actually operated on um, President Kennedy and wow. performed his tracheotomy and performed the cut downs and things in the in the emergency room in the trauma bay. Wow. So we were immersed in that in that uh, history. Such, yeah, such tragic but also fascinating American history uh, at the same time. So mm-hmm. you have raised uh, five wonderful children. I've got to know a few of them uh, in the young adults ministry here at Preston Crest. And what I love most about them is where they went to college at, at Harding. So uh, <laughs> glad they received the Harding education and the Harding experience. But I've asked Dr. Prude to come on today to talk to us a little bit about uh, raising a Christian family because his children um, are very faithful members of the Lord's Church, and Brian and Amy love the church dearly, and and they've seen a lot of things, I'm sure, uh, through their marriage and through their life and and raising children and just watching, watching our world change and the constant challenges that Christian families are facing today. And that's kind of the first question that I have for you, Brian, is what do you think is the most pressing issue? I phrase that singular, so we can talk about different issues if that's easier, but what's the most pressing issue facing Christian families today? Well, first, in the season of Thanksgiving, I would say I am incredibly thankful, not only for my wife, but for my family, my children. And it's a question I've discussed and thought about and studied for quite some time. But if I bring it down to one issue, an issue, what is the most pressing issue facing Christian families today? I think, unfortunately, first we have to define what is a family now in this world and what is a marriage. And I think those two definitions are Mm -hmm. under assault. Uh, James Dobson started an organization many years ago called Focus on the Family because he, I think, correctly recognized that the building block of everything we are was really the family, and mm-hmm. uh, and the family is under assault. But my view is that the most pressing issue facing the Christian family and the church and the country is the same issue. I think it is the culture moving away from the Bible toward a secular, immoral worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a continual almost inexorable decline that most honest observers would say is happening at an exponential rate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's true in our institutions, in our media, in our entertainment, our government schools from K through PhD, um, in our Christian, and sadly even in our Christian churches and Christian colleges and in our families, the move away from biblical revealed truth toward the secular sort of immoral world. Um, Our country was really founded on religious freedom and on Judeo-Christian ethics. Mm -hmm. And until really probably the 1960s, the dominant culture here in the United States was that Judeo-Christian ethic and worldview. Um, And I think sadly that is under assault. Mm -hmm. This movement is toward the world not toward God, and I believe it is a spiritual battle. Absolutely. Absolutely. May even raise the notch from the word battle to the word war. I think that's right. I mean, so, you know, 
the first chapter of James says religion that the Father accepts as pure, undefiled, pure and undefiled religion before God is to look after orphan and widows in their distress. And we often kind of end there, but it goes on to say, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so that is the challenge for us with regard to our families, trying to keep your children and yourselves from being polluted by the world. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because if you go back to the Old Testament, um, people have often criticized uh, teachings of the Old Testament where God would ask kings like Saul uh, to completely remove the Amalekite nation from the face of the earth. And people will say, well, how could a loving God approve of the genocide of an entire people? Well, it had nothing to do with race, and it had nothing to do with their background. Uh, God knew that the Amalekites for years and years and years were destroying the spiritual health of the Israelite people. And so God has always been very adamant that his people have to remain holy, have to remain sanctified, have to be set apart from the rest of the world. And uh, I, I love your answer there. We have to define terms. We're going to talk about attacks on the family or family values. What is a family? Because that, that term today has totally been turned upside down. Yeah, in response to what you just said, I think anytime anyone is questioning God, why did God do something in the Old Testament? Why has God chosen to do this or that? It seems to me we're on extremely thin ice when we're judging God, when we're we're putting yeah. <laughs> we're putting our our own current values right. on God. Right. That's kind of the the <laughs> common buzzword. Don't judge me. And there's right. some merit to that. Well, let's not judge God either. That that seems even more detrimental than judging other people. Um, so when we talk about living a countercultural life, uh, what does that entail? Um, well, I hate to beat the same drum, but I think it's almost the same answer. The, the dominant culture in America, especially in Texas, was once – that we respected God. We, we acknowledged him as creator of the universe. Christians were the dominant culture in America. The country was founded on religious freedom and biblical values, Christian biblical values. We were the culture. Uh, all over the country for 200 and something years, if you went into court, you put your hand on what? On the Bible to swear to tell the truth. Why? Because the Bible was seen as the source of truth. Mm-hmm. We didn't put your hand on the Constitution. You didn't put your hand on the state law book. You put your hand on the Bible. And that was the culture. Even if people didn't practice it, they acknowledged that the Bible was from God. It was truth. Now, in what's being called post-Christian America, we are the counterculture. Mm-hmm. We are the counterculture. Uh, following the Bible is now going against the culture in many regards. The Bible's definition of morality, the Bible's definition of marriage, etc. Um, and, and really, during my own personal prayer time, uh, now I pray for another great awakening, for a spiritual renewal in the country. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we, we don't have people who are, by the world's definition, poor. We have people who are poor in spirit. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I do believe we could have a great awakening, a spiritual renewal. I think it is possible if we look to the unchanging Word of God. That's what's not changing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when you you think about your own household, and this episode is kind of being thankful about your home, your Christian home, uh, you and Amy have had a 32-year marriage together, and y'all raised five children together, but uh, that's certainly not easy. So um, what do you think, and maybe Amy would give a different answer, but what do, you, sure th- <laughs> what do you think is the hardest thing about marriage? Uh, well, I think that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> No, nobody's perfect. No individual is perfect, and I'm sure no no marriage is is perfect, no matter what you might like to present. But I think learning to be a team and aligning your priorities first and foremost is what I would say, and I think Amy would agree with that. Um, it for me, it was accepting differences, mm-hmm. really. Once you have the same goals and you align your priorities, then it was about accepting differences and learning really empirically what works and what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me a while to recognize that men and women are fundamentally different and they bring different strengths and abilities and characteristics to the marriage and to parenting. So, I, you know, we used to hear from the culture that marriage is supposed to be 50-50. You know, you wash half the dishes and you change half the diapers. And really, we decided early on it was 100-100. It wasn't mm-hmm. 50-50. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's coming in the future. And if, you know, if you're not all in, then it's, it's going to be difficult to have a Christian marriage and a Christian home, I think. And as I've often said, diversity is only a strength if you have the same goals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, diversity is only a strength if you have the same goals. If a married couple or a diverse group of people, no matter what their gifts and talents, are all pulling in different directions, it's not useful or productive. It's divisive. Mm-hmm. So we've got to have the same goals, even if we bring different methods and talents to bear on that On that. Uh, that's a great line diversity is only a strength if we have the same same goal and i think that gets lost in today's world we hear so much about diversity but not everyone wants the same thing or is concerned about the same thing and then you're right that diversity does become extremely extremely divisive so listening to kind of your background as we started this episode Sounds like you and Amy have lived in a lot of different places. Whether it be a few, uh, were y'all married when you lived in Africa? Were you no, still no, no, single? No, man? no, no, okay. no. I was single. Okay, but we've, we've lived in Dallas and we've lived in Atlanta. Okay, so you've had two very different experiences, mm-hmm. uh, two really two very different cities. What was it like, you know, having those different experiences as a young married couple? I think it was good for us. Uh, we've often talked about the fact that we moved. Her family was from Texas, multi-generations. My family was from Texas, multi-generations. And so as a young married couple, for us to move away to Atlanta and really be on our own was a was a good thing. It was a unifying thing. We had our first two children there um, and I think was a, was a positive in mm-hmm. so many ways. Mm-hmm. So what about uh, raising children? 
What's been the most difficult thing? And you've had five of them. So uh, I can't imagine the house was ever real quiet. Uh, what was the most difficult thing about raising five children? Well, our, our house was not quiet, uh, partly because we made a decision early on. Uh, I agreed with Amy's decision to homeschool the five kids. So she homeschooled all five of our children for a total of about 22 years until a year and a half ago. And so it was never quiet at our home. Uh, we first you know, would sit down and sort of remind ourselves of our own priorities. And our duty was first to God and second to our spouse and third to our children. And really my career and everything else, church work, everything else came after that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think the most difficult thing about rearing children is to try to teach them to love God and to know and love his word and to keep them, quote, unpolluted by the world, unquote, while they are young, while they are putting down roots into the word and into their faith. Um, we must, I think, provide love and nurture and try to be role models or examples of a, of a Christian walk with the Lord, recognizing we're not perfect and I'm far from perfect, uh, but we want to be the best role models and examples we can be. We're going to go off script for just a second if we can, because I want to get your personal insights on this. You know, I've talked about this before and about the decision uh, you and Amy made to homeschool your children. Mm -hmm. Obviously, neither one of you are against um, education or educators because you both were raised by families of educators, you right. and particularly with your uh, you know, father being the president of LCU and uh, they were both professors. So in the public school system, there are obviously some very many, not even very many talented teachers, administrators, educators, Exactly. Uh, especially in Dallas-Fort Worth. Right. Uh, you raised your family in arguably one of the best uh, neighborhoods for the school system in the United States there at Highland Park. Um, but you still chose to homeschool your children. So um, as people are listening to this, I'm sure Brian would agree his answers are not to criticize those who send their children to public school. But no. why why did y'all make that decision? I read a fascinating article you sent me about Amy, which was done a couple, couple of years ago, talking mm -hmm. about, you know, going to Rome and uh, <laughs> Paris and London and other cities to kind of bring to life things they'd been studying in school. Why did you make that decision to homeschool? Well, we Amy would give you a better answer probably than I would, but we, our oldest son, was went to kindergarten and went to first grade at Trinity Christian School. And we ultimately decided that we could do better academically. We were very interested in academics and we thought we could provide a better academic experience. And that's why we started homeschooling really. And then it became so much more than that. Mm -hmm. It allowed us opportunities to, um, to teach Mm -hmm. uh, she had a devotional with them every morning and read the Bible and was able to transmit values and um, um, sort of a biblical mm -hmm. uh, Christian worldview. At the same time, we were advancing in math and in science and in these other uh, disciplines. It also gave us incredible freedom to add additional uh, support in areas where they might be weak or give them additional material where they were very strong and let them run and learn as fast as they could, mm -hmm. not held back by 
you know, a classroom or any other restraints. Um, and we did not have to plan our lives around the school calendar. Mm-hmm. So we almost never traveled anywhere during regular school breaks. Mm-hmm. We would study European history and then we would take them all to Europe and go through the capitals or we would study Texas history and we would all go to the Alamo or to go to the various Texas sites. But we did it at a time when there wouldn't be crowds and mm-hmm. we didn't have to follow a, a school calendar. So it, it gave us a lot of freedom within our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also, we think, gave a very good educational experience. Um, and it also diminished some of the um, sort of secular peer pressure that can occur. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the primary reason we started was for academics. Okay, okay. And that does speak in many ways to the countercultural life that you were talking about, because I'm sure, uh, without going into too much detail, that was probably met with some opposition by other families or your your children's friends of, well, why do y'all do this? But you stuck to it, and they all went to Harding, did well, and are doing well in their respective careers or um, areas of study. So that's a fascinating story, and I really enjoyed that article. Well, Amy did an amazing. You sent me. She did an amazing job. I mean, I have to say that you know they all they all excelled academically in in every way. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of them were National Merit Scholars. Uh, all five of them got academic scholarships to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all did very very well academically. Mm-hmm. So if I enroll in Amy's European history course, will she take me to Europe for a field trip? <laughs> it's amazing how many people want to send their kids to her yeah. for her, yeah. for her homeschooling experience. Yeah, but absolutely. she says the, the the school is closed. No. Okay, well, if she wants to have another class even on the masters in Augusta, that would be that would be fun as well. Okay, so when you talk about your children. Um, and Preston Crest has a long history of uh, great children's programs and educating children very well. Um, how involved should the church be, do you think, in helping raise your children? As the old phrase says, um, does it truly take a village? Well, I, I would say it depends on the village, but it, it, it can. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it, it is certainly helpful. And I know just as a sort of parenthetical statement, when I was a kid, you know, if you stepped out of line in anywhere up and down your neighborhood or certainly anywhere at church, somebody else's mother would grab you and, you know, give you a swat and say, you know, you're not supposed to be doing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they would they would kind of correct you. And, of course, my parents were glad they did. They would say, you know, Mrs. So-and-so, don't make her have to correct you again. Mm-hmm. So uh, now, of course, nobody would do that because there's, you know, it's a different mindset. It's a different culture. But um, you know, again, all of our children should be viewed as blessings from God, gifts from God. And I think fundamentally the responsibility of rearing our children belongs to us as parents. It's our job to provide for them food, clothing, shelter, safety, and it's our job to provide training in God's Word. I don't think parents should think that if their kids go to church and have a 45-minute Bible class lesson once a week, that they then don't have any responsibility for teaching their own children. Mm-hmm. Um, the church should reinforce the Bible teaching that the parents are doing at home. The church should encourage parents. The church should lift up parents and teach the parents and affirm the parents as they fulfill their responsibility to rear their own children 
uh, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I mean, I think children can gain wisdom. Uh, we read in the Bible that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And I think uh, children should gain wisdom as they grow. And they learn that hopefully from their parents, from other people at church, from their Bible class teachers, from the influences that are around them that while they're young, in their formative years, you hope are Christian influences. Right, right. That's a great answer. I, th- I think what I hear you saying is it's all about balance. Um, yes, if it's a good village, like you said, depends on the village. If it's a good church, the church helping raise your children is a tremendous blessing, but that is not a license for laziness. And, um, you know, that's that's the parent's ultimate responsibility, which is why some some children who grow up with really not very good church situations or good youth groups or good Bible classes are still faithful because oh, yeah. because their parents laid that foundation for them. Well, and the church really, as I said, should reinforce the biblical values that the that the parents are teaching. Right, right. So when you when you talk about balance, we'll we'll skip a couple of questions here and, and get down to uh, this question because I really want your perception on on this because you're. Obviously, very busy man, and uh, move f- from different hospitals, different doctor offices every week with your job. And Amy has been tremendously busy, um, homeschooling five children for twenty-two years, in addition to her work. Uh, how do we ensure that next to our relationship with God, as you alluded to just a few moments ago, how do we make sure that our families are the very most important thing to us? Well, I think that, this is my opinion, but I think we have to remind ourselves of what's most important. We ha- it, it's very easy to get caught up in the world and various pursuits, but we have to continually say, wait a minute, there's several things I could be doing with my time today. What's most important? What's, mm-hmm. what's number one? Um, we believe, I believe, that God comes first, then our spouse, then our children, and after that comes career, church work, everything else in that order. And when those conflict, I try to default back to that. God first, Amy second, my children third, and then my career, my work at church, and everything else. Uh, I got to remind myself of that, and I think this sort of priority is what's um, what's been useful for me to think about. Have you found how often you need to reevaluate? I mean, is it something you do yearly or monthly or quarterly to make sure that everything is staying within that paradigm? Well, I, sometimes daily. Mm-hmm. I, I don't reevaluate that order of priority. That's fixed for me. Sure. What I do reevaluate sometimes daily is if there's 12 things pressing in on me today, how am I going to order these? If something falls off the list, which one's it going to be? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, there's time pressures. Um, mm-hmm. And as a surgeon, there are urgencies that occur that take priority over everything else. Mm-hmm. But in general, I try to stick to that order of priority. Very good. So last question. Um, I haven't asked anyone else this question yet during the podcast. So uh, you're the... <laughs> You're the guinea pig here, but if you were writing a letter to your 25-year-old self, uh, what would you say? That's, I think, the equivalent of asking, if you knew then what you know now, what would you do differently? (laughs) Right. And um, 
my first answer would be I would marry Amy sooner okay. than I did. That's we a good dated answer. for four years. Uh, I was a very I was very much afraid of the part about quote till death do you part unquote and so I was uh, a little uh, slow I think in right. deciding to get married. But in retrospect, and I've told her this, my only regret is I didn't marry her sooner. <laughs> uh, she's been the greatest blessing of my life, without doubt. After my salvation, Amy is number one blessing mm-hmm. in my life. Um, what else would I do differently? I think I would invest more in people, perhaps, than I did at various stages of my career. Um, you know, my my daughter Chandler has really invested in in people and in friendships, and she came away from Harding with so many uh, really lifelong friends. And for that, I think she is a very rich young woman because she has these these friends uh, that are that are amazing. Uh, she has these deep and enduring friendships that she has curated mm-hmm. over this time. And I was more education oriented, more career oriented. Um, you know, I would I would learn Spanish at an early age <laughs> uh, because I think you could be more effective in so many things. Uh, you know, I mean, I live in Texas. Uh, I, I wish that I knew Spanish. My kids. We tried to make sure that they all took, took Spanish, but I, you know, we go to Guatemala in the summers with this medical and dental clinic from Preston Crest, and I just feel, you know, inadequate because I can't speak Spanish. So I would, if I were 25 again, I would learn Spanish early on. Um, what else would I do differently? I would be make a more concerted effort to read my Bible every single day. Uh, I always recommend to people who are being baptized that they make it an effort to pray every day and read a little bit of their Bible every day. And there have been times during my life when I did not read every single day, and that's one mm-hmm. of my many shortcomings, I would say. But Well, that's good advice. <laughs> I uh, I took French for a year and a half, and that's come yeah. in so handy for me living <laughs> in Texas. The only time I use my French is when I go to La Madeleine, yeah. and then they have the English translation there for you, so I don't even need it. But Well, they told me to take German. That's what okay. I took in college. Okay. Also well, pretty much useless. Yeah, well, <laughs> the only thing I remember about French is pretty much eclair. That's it. But... Um, well, very good. Well, Brian, thank you for your time today, and thank you for those who spend time listening. I want to close the day the way we close every week by reminding you to keep your eyes on heaven. And secondly, that along this road of life, there will be road work along the way. But here at Road Talk, we want to help you get ready by navigating your journey. Have a great rest of the week, a great Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you next time.